Welcome to the Sustainability Podcast's newest series, America's Path to Net Zero. This series is dedicated to the investment made by the U.S. in the pursuit of a net zero emissions and a greener tomorrow. In the next four episodes, I will be covering emerging industries, established technologies, future policies, and the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act. The featured guests include ARC's finest analysts and the founder of the American Energy Society. I hope this series leaves you with a better understanding of the Inflation Reduction Act, emerging decarbonization technologies, and your role in the energy transition. Hello, welcome to the Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Simon. I am joined today by Peter Manos, my colleague on the Energy Transition Industrial Sustainability Team here at the ARC Advisory Group. Peter, how are you doing today? Very well, Gavin. How are you? Doing pretty swell. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. The Inflation Reduction Act is always something that we're throwing around and the IRA is always being thrown around and you always have some really great insight on it. And so I wanted to get started with, can we just have a little bit of a background of yourself? Sure. Um, well, my background wise, uh, I've been in the electric utility industry uh, since uh, engineering school uh, in the mid 80s with Con Edison in New York City uh, as an engineer and been doing various, you know, product strategic consulting uh, for product marketing, uh, advising solution providers, benchmarking end users in the utility community, uh, and also a lot of cross-industry work around things that asset-intensive industries have in common uh, and the solutions that are helping them to perform better. So at ARC Advisory Group for the last two years, uh, you know, my, my work has been right in the areas that I mentioned and uh, covers uh, you know, a lot of the key trends that relate to the benefits and the platforms and equipment involved uh, in in what we're talking about today, which is the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, it's just an enormous injection into the uh, U.S. Uh, economy of uh, initiatives that are going to um, enable um, manufacturers to be incented to do more manufacturing domestically, you know, to ensure our energy uh, security, uh, as well as, most importantly, uh, enable us to further accelerate the uptake of renewable sources of energy um, and electric vehicles. So the related infrastructure for all that is all around the smart grid to a large extent, uh, because you need to have all that real-time data on a smart electric grid, as well as smart infrastructure in a lot of other areas uh, to um, go forward uh, with the greatest economic and environmental and social quality of life benefits that we, we want to uh, achieve as a country. Awesome. I mean, you just killed that first answer. My first question was going to be, what is the goal of the Inflation Reduction Act in your own words? And would you want to add on sure. that? Or would you like to? Oh, yeah, it is. You know, it's important to look at that goal and to um, talk about some of the misunderstandings that are or criticisms that are very superficial. Uh, I mean, there, there are certainly things of substance to, to be debated and we should welcome informed policy uh, debate. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act is, I think, appropriately named. I mean, it is going to be, it is helping economies uh, across uh, all major industrial sectors in the U.S. and as well as uh, being of great value for both urban, suburban, and rural uh, communities in the U.S. Uh, and it is not saying that there will be no inflation. It's saying it's going to reduce inflation. Well, how do you benchmark that? How do you measure that? How do you even like 
you know, debate about it. Well, you need to be looking at two scenarios, right? One with the Inflation Reduction Act and one without and say, is it reducing inflation? Uh, and, you know, that that would be, you know, the right attitude to have rather than making fun of it as if it was just a marketing ploy to name it the Inflation mm-hmm. Reduction Act. Uh, tens of thousands of farms in rural America have, on average, received $40,000 each since the act was enacted. Uh, and, and that, uh, you know, 40,000 farms, 40,000 each, that's, eight, that's a big number right there. And that's only a small part of it, that $160 billion. You know, there's, and rural America is only a part of it as well. So the ability to have, in the long term, you know, more reliable and resilient infrastructure uh, and and greater affordability for both small, uh, medium, large businesses, as well as people looking at their residential monthly, you know, utility bills. Those things really matter. And and the act is helping across all of that. Uh, everything from heat exchangers uh, to um, energy efficiency investments, uh, to um, the reducing the large uh, energy waste uh, when it comes to managing facilities, you know, homes, businesses, you know, that that uh, part of the bill is, is big. And, and then, yes, more wind turbines, more uh, solar rooftop, solar and, and solar farms and getting all of that interconnected and operating in real time and enabling electric vehicle infrastructure to you know, tap into as much renewable energy as possible. Uh, those those are really anti-inflationary. They do help reduce people's monthly uh, energy bills, along with the other benefits. Agreed, agreed. So that was all positive and great. What has been the major pushbacks on the Inflation Reduction Act? And maybe you can touch upon the pushback before it was in- enacted and the pushback now that it's been enacted and investment and money is already being dispersed. The fact that we're talking about legislation, you know, there's a famous saying, uh, you don't want to know what goes into making sausage or legislation uh, behind the scenes because, uh, you know, the, the, the final product might taste good. It might be good legislation, good sausage, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the purest of principles in those uh, negotiation back, back room negotiation, uh, conversations that we don't know about um so you know i think putting aside the very superficial criticism of the name of the act which i think i've addressed we're really um you know talking about ability to be more energy independent so obviously other economies are going to outside the u.s are going to complain and push back and and, you know if you if you search uh for uh anything about you know France or Germany or other European major economies' response to the Inflation Reduction Act, right? You're going to see some negatives there uh, because uh, they'll say it's being isolationist or, you know, we need to be more of a global economy. Uh, and, you know, the the um, response to that is is going to be, the, you know, proven by the health of both trade, international trade, going forward and the health of the U.S. economy going forward. You know, if our economy is unhealthy, if we're not energy independent, you know, if we have more supply chain shocks because of unpredictable events uh, that affect uh, our ability to get uh, the resources to run our economy, you know, shame on us. And, and it affects everyone in the world, ultimately, uh, since we are the largest economy of any country. And the ability to attract and retain top talent is, is super important, too. Uh, and so the more that you do domestically, end-to-end in, in the supply chain, the better. 
Um, you and I both, uh, Gavin, you know, exchanged ideas uh, after reviewing uh, you know, some recent uh, Department of Energy publications about energy storage from the R&D, you know, from the fundamental technology point of view and, and you know, the work that is being done to ensure that we have healthy R&D. Uh, because, you know, um, if you look at, you know, Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, okay, I mean, mm -hmm. he developed the semiconductor uh, microprocessor, right? Uh, you know, he, he said that the next equivalent of the microprocessor is going to be who wins the energy storage, you know, those, those physics and chemistry challenges associated with making the best kind of battery. Uh, that's going right. to be like the next uh, microchip, microprocessor, uh, you know, for, in terms of global economic uh, competitiveness, uh, we want to we want to win. Of course, there's going to be pushback uh, internationally. Now, the pushback domestically, my quick answer to that, which, you know, it includes a lot of misinformation uh, and a lot of making things into very... Um, Binary choices that really aren't true. You know, everything is generally more complex than the sound bites that you'll hear on either side of, of right. issues that are too divisive. Uh, but my quick answer to, to those who say, oh, you're hurting the economy by being more sustainable, uh, being more focused on, on renewables. Are you picking winners and losers? Well, you know, no, uh, we've been picking winners and losers, uh, in the realm of fossil fuels for a very long time. I mean, if you look at the, the tax payments of uh, the oil and gas industry compared to other industries, uh, you know, it's um, everyone needs to pay their fair share. If you want to say no taxation without representation, the converse is no representation without taxation. So the lobby groups that, that push certain agendas behind the scenes might be talking green, but are they really trying to move forward in a green way or not? Uh, and, and, my answer to the really more informed debate that, that there's genuine things to debate about from a policy and an economics point of view is we need more environmental, social, corporate governance data, not less, if we want to have an informed debate, right? The way to have an informed debate is to have more data and good data that, that the opposing sides agree on. So to be anti-ESG uh, is to say we don't want an informed debate because ESG solutions – uh, that that inform those investment uh, hedge funds, uh, the underlying software that's being used both for environmental health and safety, uh, you know, enterprise asset management, uh, environmental, social, and corporate governance software on the part of asset owner operators, you know, who are actually trying to run their machinery at their plants better uh, and, and track what they're doing to be more green. That software informs the debate. That 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 has everything in it that shows the benefits of. Um, you know, if you invest in worker safety and in uh, having a less contaminants in a, in, let's say, in a chemical plant, so that the workers aren't inhaling, uh, you know, to toxic uh, fumes, uh, you're going to have a, a attract and retain employees. Uh, you, they're going to be healthier employees. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, th that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And if you're saying, oh, you're overly socially engineering, I'll gladly debate the hedge fund questions. There, there might be, there are some valid points about specific pension funds choosing or not uh, the way they want, uh, but to shut down the flow of data to have a good debate, that's, uh, that's not American. You know, that's not a highly principled position for, for, for uh, anyone to take, I, I would say. So for example, let's say we have a VP of operations who is 
looking at the cost from the past year and still see higher costs from an, a new influx of renewable energy and further investment into ESG investments, how can a VP of operations make an informed opinion without the ESG data? Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. So, you know, in other words, they might say, "Hey, you know, um, that sounds nice, Peter, to say if you have more data um, about um, the benefits uh, and and the things you've done to improve your ESG performance and to have more renewables. That sounds nice to have more data, but uh, it's going to make things cost more for me as an owner and operator of th- these industrial assets that I run here with my job at this company. You know, um, so." Uh, I'm still going to push back against the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, that might be true in some cases, but I think in a lot of cases, it's a question of looking at the the big picture and not necessarily super long term, but most companies have set pretty rigorous goals for, for lowering the carbon footprint, for having uh, more of a circular economy and lower environmental impact and even net zero by 2045, 2050. And to get from here to there, uh, executives are being, you know, in, in a lot of the compensation plans of executives at Fortune 500 companies now, uh, they get bonuses if they meet very specific ESG and renewable energy and related goals. Uh, and so what are the benefits? You know, that, that decision maker might say, you're going to make it more expensive for me um, and it's going to cause force me to raise the price of what we sell to our, our industrial and commercial customers. Well, there are customers increasingly who want to meet regulations themselves and need need to meet their goals by buying more uh, sustainably sourced products and services. And in addition, if you look at your costs for maintaining a, a talented workforce and the ability to attract and retain top talent and the ability to transfer know-how from very experienced personnel who are uh, you know retiring and, and, and the whole brain drain issue you know the operational excellence and, and productivity and efficiency of your operations those are supported by by attracting and retaining top talent and how do you do that well having a better uh, ESG posture embracing some of the improvements that you can do based on the benefits of the inflation reduction act for your business uh, those are going to have a pretty quick ROI. I mean, you know, talented people who want the, the latest and greatest uh, tools that are driven by real-time data, uh, you know, uh, they they get up to speed faster and they stay. They don't jump around from one company to another, one employer to another. So um, you can meet your goals, uh, and you know, in terms of your company's posture. Uh, what used to be called corporate social responsibility is now the sustainability report and the ESG reporting that your company does. It's going to attract uh, not only more better talent to work at your company, it's going to uh, cause the um, financial community and the risk assessment community and the insurance uh, industries to um, look more favorably. Uh, you're going to have a lower risk profile in the eyes of a lot of decision makers in the financial community and the insurance community who, who really matter to your company, to your board of directors. Uh, and uh, so there's there's a lot of goodness there that needs to be adapted to new ways of looking at the ROI of these sorts of things. Agreed. And I think it's pretty interesting because we have so many companies today making such an effort on ESG reporting and sustainability reporting, but 
the U.S. really hasn't laid out a framework specifically for ESG reporting. So maybe, hopefully, in the coming years, I'm optimistic to see something come down the line um, by the federal government to give a outline for ESG reporting so everybody can be on a on the same page and a universal language. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the SEC has, you know, strengthened it. And you also have a lot of companies that are multinationals that are standardizing to some higher European standards that are continuing to roll out. And and and, and actually, also in Europe, they're expanding um, in terms of there's going to be tens of thousands of more companies in the mid-tier market and lower and smaller companies. They're going to be getting on board with it because they have to by the, based on the European yeah. regulations. Um, you know, another aspect of this is, um, you know, we need to not be talking in generalities. Now, if someone has a criticism of something in in relation to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, the specific things that they think could be done better. And let's compare two options, right? You know, that's, I think, a key uh, principle here that you and I uh, both agree on. And, you know, there's there's a lot of depth to to that when you really look at it, you know. So, the pivot point is still in the future, but a way of looking at that pivot point is that the risk of of not getting ahead, you know, mm-hmm. of, of of being more um, focused on energy transition and industrial sustainability excellence, instead of being like a follower, being a leader, the benefits of proactiveness are going to outweigh the safety, quote unquote, of of um, of waiting and seeing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be worth it. To, it's not going to be worth it to be a laggard. You want to be a leader. You've published a lot of work around digital twin. How can a digital twin be useful with when estimating the Inflation Reduction Act's impact? Because from my understanding, a digital twin is a great way to duplicate a factory or a manufacturing facility uh, digitally. But how can I how can I use a digital twin to basically plot out and estimate the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act? That's a great question. And um, there's there's a, a good chunk of future in what I'm about to talk about, but I think it's a future that's coming uh, quicker than than we might think. And you know, one of the um, strategy reports I wrote uh, on ESG, um, I had so much um, additional thinking around the digital twin aspect that I, I wrote a second piece, of, uh, an ARC Insight a while back, which I called the sustainability singularity. And my view is um, when you look at what a lot of the ARC analysts who are many decades steeped in industrial automation, I mean, they're like we have, you know, Ralph Rio, Craig Resnick, and several other, you know, real digital twin experts who talk about everything from the design digital twin to operational digital twins and rolling up, you know, pieces of equipment uh, that you model digitally for up, rolling up from the factory floor to to various degrees of accuracy now starting to like model the entire plant you know in terms of a digital twin capability well as those capabilities roll out there's an acceleration because the computing power uh, cloud-based solutions are enabling uh, huge amounts of data to actually be analyzed by these ever more powerful machine learning models and um, apply artificial intelligence to get all these analytical insights, right? So that you can actually fine tune not just a plant, but a fleet of plants that, that are owned by a single company and optimize as we, you know, asset owners do, they optimize to maximize productivity, profitability, but now they can add 
and are adding constraints around lowering emissions, uh, meeting ESG goals. So what does that have to do with my sustainability singularity and having a good debate? Well, a good debate, as we said, is about comparing different options. You know, should I pay more upfront for something that's more energy efficient uh, and and maybe will have a, a operationally, you know, won't have as heavy maintenance requirements because it's a more robust piece of equipment? Should I pay a premium for that upfront uh, versus buy something that might run a little hotter, not as super energy efficient, uh, but have a lower upfront cost? Well, if you can model things so accurately that you can model those two scenarios, you can make a better decision. Uh, and as social impacts and circular economy impacts and supply chain dependencies, there's all these other aspects up and down the industrial uh, sustainability spectrum of, uh, of workflows and information flows. As that's all modeled better and better, you're going to have digital twin models for big decisions. Like what are the, what are the economic impacts going to be of option a versus option b if you have to build infrastructure uh for um some specific change you know like more green green natural gas uh uh and and blended with uh, green hydrogen mixed into the natural gas distribution system and and uh, enabling you know manufacture of ammonia and other uh, and, you know fertilizer and other industrial uh, feed stocks uh, from from these other you know Work sources, uh, you know, to to model all that and compare options. So I call it a singularity because um, we don't know what it's going to look like on the other side, uh, and also because in the realm of artificial intelligence, something that's previously thought of as science fiction until recently was the singularity where the artificial intelligence becomes self-aware okay so we already mm -hmm. have like this acceleration with moore's law you know chips semiconductor chips basically are doubling in size and, and, and cutting half in cost roughly every 18 months and that that exponential curve has alongside it this exponential increase in the capability uh, and cost effectiveness of advanced analytics and machine learning so that singularity is going to drive the sort of digital twin revolution that, that I'm describing. And, um, you know, for a science fiction perspective, let's say sometime in the future we have these amazing models. And it's not just the operational digital twins. It's also the design digital twins, right? Those are getting smarter and better. So if we could replay the entire nuclear power industry in the future, uh, and instead of uh, building nuclear plants based on one type of reactor design versus another, we could model them so accurately that the mistakes could be made virtually rather than in reality, and the optimization could be made before you build something completely. Uh, imagine like that kind of capability for, for other industries and for that industry. That's the kind of thing we need. You know, We can't afford to make the mistakes we used to make, right? Uh, now that, so that yeah, it's exciting, is isn't it? Really good point. Peter, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. This has been a, a very insightful and eye-opening conversation. How can somebody listening to this podcast keep in touch with you and keep in uh, and keep following your amazing work that you're doing here at ARC? Well, thanks for your work too, Gavin. And my um, webpage among the analysts webpage would probably be the best thing because we always put each analyst's latest uh, publications on, on their uh, rolling 
uh, lists on on the on their webpage. So we can include that uh, in our um, landing page for for this great conversation that you've put together for me. Thanks.